Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton, a 19-year-old from the Bay Area studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. She Persisted is the teen mental health podcast made for teenagers by a teen. In each episode, I'll bring you authentic, accessible, and relatable conversations about every aspect of mental wellness. You can expect evidence-based teen-approved resources, coping skills, including lots of DBT, insights, and education in each piece of content you consume. She Persisted offers you a safe space to feel validated and understood in your struggle while encouraging you to take ownership of your journey and build your life worth living. So let's dive in. This week on She Persisted. Never start with a why question if you're stuck. Instead of why, ask yourself, what is someone or something or some place that makes my brain feel less freaked out, a little less threatened, a little less activated, and then use it. I know why I'm anxious, and now after 20 years of therapy, I understand why I have certain patterns. But like knowing why I have them doesn't change them. Knowing why helps give me insight, and it's great, but knowing who, what, where, and when makes me feel safer or a little less bad, that's useful for getting moving. Hello, and welcome back to She Persisted. I'm so excited. I say that every single week. I'm recording intros back to back right now in advance. (laughs) Every single time I start, I'm like, I'm so excited. But I truly do love these episodes and conversations. And I can't wait for you to listen to them because I work so hard on recording these and putting this resource together. So I get really excited when I'm recording these intros and sharing them with you. If you're new here, my name is Sadie Sutton. I am a sophomore at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm studying psychology and I've just added a minor in consumer psych, which is marketing, because I realized I like marketing from marketing she persisted. So if you're new here, that's a little bit about me. I went to intensive treatment for a year and a half for severe depression and anxiety. And then after recovering, I started She Persisted and have really tried to create the resource that I wish I had when I was struggling. So that's a little bit about me and the show. We have a very exciting guest today talking about a very important topic. Today's guest is Britt Frank. She is an expert in the science of being stuck. I feel like this is such a common sentiment from teens and young adults and college students, which is that you don't necessarily know where you want to go in life. You are feeling overwhelmed at a standstill. And this is exactly what Britt specializes in. So we talk all about what it means to be emotionally stuck. We talk about how to shift that, especially from a behavioral perspective, what you need to know if you are feeling stuck, how to get out of that headspace, and so much more. So very important topic, very important episode, something I've struggled with at many points. And so I'm so excited to have Britt on the podcast to shed some light here. So with that, let's dive in. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Britt. I'm so excited to have you on She Persisted. Hi, thanks for having me on. Of course. So as we're recording this, we are in the new year, which is a time when I feel like a lot of people are either feeling super motivated or they're feeling very stuck and unmotivated, especially as they look back on the past year or what their original goals were. And this is kind of your expertise and where you know what to do. So talk to me about what it means to be stuck and how you came to find this like common issue that so many people are dealing with and and how they were describing it and how you were able to identify it. When I talk about stuck, I this is so important to me to disclaim. I am not talking about geopolitical unrest or systemic racism or mm-hmm. abuse. So if that is the situation, I do not consider that being 
stuck. I consider that being oppressed or being in a categorically unsafe environment. So that's my disclaimer. My work focuses on there's no logical reason why you are not able to do the thing you want to do. So like, I want to get fit. I want to start a business. I want to quit smoking. I want to start doing the thing or stop taking the thing or whatever. Nevertheless, this giant gap between what we say we want and what we actually do, like what we say are good outcome and we tend to fall and get stuck in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, how did I get on this work? Well, I was a drug addict and a hot mess of a human being. So when I share, it's not like, here's a composite of all the clients I've helped. It's like, okay, I was hot mess express and I banged my head around trying lots of different things. And when I finally found things that worked, I'm like, everyone needs to know about this. So they don't have to try 50 stupid things. And so my work really focuses on cherry picking what I think are the most useful resources, the best research. It's not like, here's how to get unstuck according to me. It's like, hey, here's what like this doctor who did the the research said, but you don't Mm -hmm. have to read the research. Just here are the bottom. I'm a big here are the bottom lines kind of person. Yeah, yeah. So what were these things that you came across in your own life where you're like, this is really helpful. This is really effective. This is allowing me to move forward like you just mentioned. So this thing that I learned is the key. And it's don't set, this sounds so counterintuitive, but don't set goals. Like we were all taught, set goals, rah, rah, goals, yay, goals. But actually setting goals sets us up for failure because goals automatically assume that right now we're not enough, we're not there, we're not where we want to be. And then once you achieve a goal, then you're done, then what? And we all know once people get what they want, they tend to be dissatisfied. So instead of a goal, what we want to do is focus on systems. And this is James Clear Atomic Habits stuff. And it's brilliant. I love that book. So, so, so good. That book, if you are stuck and you like need a resource, you know, obviously other than mine, which is biased, James Clear Atomic Habits, two thumbs up, 10 out of 10 recommends. Mm-hmm. Because he says, if you focus on your systems, you don't have to worry about this. So I think of it like sitting in your car, you can dream about where you want to go. You can text your friends and tell them where you're going to go. You can imagine and affirm where you want to go. But like, until you actually start driving, you're not going anywhere. So setting yeah. the goal is sitting in park. And the GPS is the system that gets you there. So if your goal is to get fit, your system might be every morning wake up to really loud music across the room and then have your shoes near the door like create Mm -hmm. ways of helping you do it so goals are out systems are in so if someone their goal was to try and journal every night and they wanted to come at this from a way that was more effective they're feeling really stuck with where they're at now what would your recommendations be getting super super clear not setting a goal, but what would your best advice be? And again, like it's not realistic to not set a goal because in order to set a system, you need to know where you're going. But it's like Mm -hmm. set the goals and then forget about them. Yes. So if your goal is to journal, my big thing with with systems or goals or anything is don't lie to yourself. Like if you have spent the last three months being depressed, isolated, disconnected, feeling like crap, you're not going to get up at six in the morning and journal for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's not your fault. And it doesn't make you a bad person. But like, maybe are you willing to bullet point 
three things with 10 words max? Are you willing to spend, not even two minutes, are you willing to spend 30 seconds writing down three bullet points? And if the answer to that is no, okay, are you willing to do one bullet point? No one likes this because it's super, like no one's going to live tweet that they wrote one bullet point. But that's how we get where we want to go. If your goal with a mental health thing is I want to use more social support so I can feel less anxious, you're not going to go to a thing where you have to talk to people. It's not going to happen. So Mm -hmm. maybe you start by just lurking on an online community and listen to what they're saying. And then maybe like you comment and then maybe then you interact and then maybe you meet people in real life or whatever. But we need to get these systems down to as micro yes as we can because the micro yeses get done. The big things they don't and then we stay stuck and then we feel shame and then shame creates more stuck, Mm -hmm. which we know. So with the micro yeses, is there a certain number you're going for? Because obviously if you're like, okay, I'm going to actually aim for the same thing I originally was, but just break it down to 50 smaller things, it's going to be difficult to be consistent, to remember, to check off all those things. So what is like your happy medium when you're working with clients or what you recommend to your Mm -hmm. audience when they have something they want to improve on, but they don't want to get burnt out or stuck or overwhelmed really quickly? Yeah. And again, we were all taught if you want to achieve a goal, break it down and look at all the steps. But like from a neuroscience perspective, if you're writing down 50 micro steps, your nervous system is going to go into freeze. And so focusing on 50 steps is going to do the same thing as saying, I want to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. And so again, no one likes this. My clients hate it because I, you know, I work with high achieving, high functioning people. They're like, rah, rah, let's go. I'm like, yes, but we're not going anywhere going this way just focus on what step is next what's next Mm -hmm. and I hated that when I was in drug addiction recovery I hated my sponsor because I was like no 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 I want I want the big picture I want to see the board she's like honey (laughs) you're not going anywhere just focus on the next yes that you can get to and I promise you that will work and I hated it and she was right and that is in fact what you do don't focus on the 50 steps focus on what is your next yes and then as you do that your yeses will get bigger because the pushback is well if I'm only you know doing one bullet point how am I ever going to get there well you're going to get there a lot faster than if you do nothing and you're not going to be doing micro yeses forever you do micro yeses until you build up enough of what you need so then you can go for those bigger things but like all the brain chemicals that we need to do the big things get dumped in our tank by doing the small things so just focus on what's next my license plate on my car even says what's next I love it So if you could like really boil down, simply explain that neuroscience process that happens when we are either stuck in trying to pursue this goal and it's not working. Mm -hmm. And then when we do have these systems, we're having these small yeses and we are making progress. Like what's that difference there that makes it effective and sustainable from a neuroscience perspective? Yeah. And this was so helpful when I learned our brains are not wired for productivity or happiness or success or love. Like our brains are wired to conserve energy, to find like the least amount of energy units possible to achieve a goal and to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. So if you and I were having this conversation and there was a lion in the corner of my office, 
I'm not even going to be able to speak. Like there's a reason your mouth goes dry when you're terrified. Right. And I'm going to be sweating and my heart's going to be racing and I am going to be literally frozen to my chair. When -hmm. you see the lion it's obvious like, well, duh, of course she's not moving. There's a lion there. Mm -hmm. And the problem that we get into with humaning is that you can't see the lions, but they're everywhere. Global pandemic and what's going to happen to me health wise. And what about the economy? I mean, there's, you know, family things, my genetic predisposition for things. The problem is, is we forget that survival brain has not changed. It's just the things around us have. And the world evolved a lot faster than our brain's capacity to process all of the information. And so the thing that happens is people come into me, they learn the neuroscience. Okay, got it. Survival physiology. When there's a lion, my brain will either shut down or freeze or put me in the state of fight or flight. And that looks like anxiety, panic, you know, running around, whatever. And people will say, well, why is my brain doing this? Clearly I'm safe. I'm sitting in my room and there's nothing wrong. And asking that question, why, why is going to keep you stuck? Like, I don't know why, because brain science. So Mm -hmm. rather than fighting with your brain, a better question than why is this happening is what is the smallest yes I can get to that will help my brain feel a little less freaked out. And our brains like small. Anything that's too much, too fast, too soon is going to feel really threatening and likely put us in that physiological state of either shutdown or overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that people make such ambitious and extravagant and huge goals, even if they're aware, like, it's not effective, it's not going to be sustainable? Why do you think we still set these insanely unachievable, potentially achievable, but just if you just set the goal and don't outline the steps, unachievable goals? Yeah, I don't want to demonize social media because I use it, I love it, and it has great power for good. However... Mm When I scroll through TikTok, I kind of want to quit humaning because I'm like, wow, everyone is so good at cooking and crafting and decorating and businessing and whatever the thing is. Like when you're looking on social media, you're seeing a curated feed of people who are at mile 100 when you are putting on your shoes to get started. And that's really discouraging. And, you know, everybody's crossing the finish line celebration started with a lacing up at the start. But again, it's not fun to be like huffing and puffing at mile one. But it's really hard to look online and not feel like, what's the point? Why bother? If I don't have this big, huge thing, then I should just quit. I get that. So I have to limit what I look at when I'm wanting to get you know, things done. And when I want to focus on systems, because otherwise I'll get discouraged. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's human. That is just human. What are the reasons that people get to this point of being stuck? Obviously, if they've set a big goal and they aren't able to achieve it, but are there other mental health challenges that can lead to this consistent feeling of being like, I'm not going anywhere. Things are not shifting. I'm not seeing any progress in addition to just setting these goals and not being able to see progress in them. Sure. And the thing with the mental health stuff, and again, I've had mental health challenges my whole life. I take meds, I go to therapy, I do all of the things. But Mm -hmm. what, again, we're not taught about mental health symptoms is that they're not a sign that we're broken or defective or weak or that there's anything wrong with us. Again, I don't know why my brain decided at like infancy to go immediately into depression at like the slightest breeze. I don't know why that happened. Genetics, sure. Family stuff, whatever. Trauma, Yep. But instead of sitting here wrestling with, well, why am I anxious? and Why am I depressed? It shouldn't be this hard. The mental health challenges 
are a lot easier to not get over, but to move through and with if we stop beating ourselves up for having them. Like it's not my anxiety or my depression that keeps me from moving. It's my story about my anxiety and my depression. So like, yeah. I know personally, I have to do some accommodations, taking meds, going to therapy. There are certain people, places and things, you know, I don't avoid all triggers, but there are certain situations where I know if I'm doing this, I'm gonna feel like that. Mm -hmm. And I either need to plan for that and not expect myself, like holidays are a great example. If you've just spent all of this time with your family and your family is not healthy, expecting your January to look like nail and gold is not yeah is not realistic. Like it's just not. So use January to recover from December and then maybe February you feel a little bit better. So I really don't believe it's our mental health challenges that limit us. Obviously, again, assuming that you have resources, enough safety, access to the things that you need. It's not that that limits us. Yeah. It's what we tell ourselves. Like this means that I guess I just have an addictive personality, so I can't blah. My ADHD keeps me from blah. And that's legit. It's like we want to mm -hmm. validate like, yes, your ADHD brain is going to have some trouble with this. And this is likely going to cause more difficulty for you in this area than someone else. But OK, yeah. so then we can work through and move with what we have instead of yelling at ourselves for having them in the first place. I love that. I think that's such an important reminder and really, really key, especially when you have these really ambitious goals, but you're, again, feeling stuck. We talked about what to do when you get to the point. You're like, okay, I'm stuck. What do I do next? Are there red flags or little mini things that pop up before you fully get to the point of like, oh my God, I don't know what to do? <laughs> well, the biggest red flag is asking why questions. And I okay. know like most of us were also taught, start with why, find your why. And that's really, really good advice when you're not stuck. When you're yeah. up and running and you've got some momentum and you feel like you've got your feet underneath you, why is a great question. Mm -hmm. But when you are absolutely inert and trying to get to that first right next thing, why questions are only going to spin you more. So I like to think of it like if you and I were talking together inside a burning building, we're not going to sit there and debate why the building caught on fire. It's like, I wonder mm -hmm. why this happened. It's like, get out of the building. And then yeah. after we get out of the building, we can figure out the how and the why and the what and the who, but never start. I don't like never and always as a general rule, but with this, I'll say it. Never start with the why question if you're stuck. To get from stuck to step one, to get from stuck to go, Toss the why, because why is not helpful right now. Instead yeah. of why, ask yourself, what is someone or something or some place that makes my brain feel less freaked out, a little less threatened, a little less activated, and then use it. The smallest yes you can get to. But why questions are the biggest red flag thing. And everyone wants to know. Everyone thinks once I know my why, you know, I know why I'm anxious. And I know now after 20 years of therapy, I understand why I have certain patterns. But like knowing why I have them doesn't change them. Knowing why helps give me insight and it's great. But knowing who, what, where, and when makes me feel safer or a little less bad, that's useful for getting moving. Yeah, yeah. What's so interesting about this is that it's not just goals that you're setting for yourself, but you talk a lot about how it also has implications for relationships and external things. So can you explain how you can be stuck in those settings, even when there are things that are outside of your own control and your own thought patterns and your, your own agenda, if you will? You are feeling really unmotivated or imbalanced. It's not making you feel good. You're like, mm -hmm. I feel like the relationship isn't going anywhere. And you definitely feel like it's a two-sided thing. Obviously, we've all been in a situation where we're like, 
we haven't been doing the work, but you really do truly feel like you've been trying, but parties have been investing and yet you're still feeling stuck and at a Mm. standstill. Yeah, this one's tough. So again, the question is not why. Why are they not, you know, doing X, Y, and Z? Or why do they keep doing X, Y, and Z? Not helpful. I can give you a case analysis of why they're doing it. It doesn't help. Mm-hmm. The The question to ask yourself first is what are my choices? Like you said, if you've already done everything you can do, sometimes there, there's work on our end to do. Like, have yeah. I spoken my truth? Have I had the hard conversation? Have I asked for what I need? Have I stopped assuming that they could read my mind? What are my choices here? Controlling them is not a choice. Making them not suck is not a choice. But the first question is, what are my choices? And then if you've done all of that, the next question is, what's the reality of this relationship? And that is a bummer because I cannot tell you how many amazing people that I have had to either distance from, you know, you can, you don't have to cut everyone off, but you can have distance, you can have lots of distance, or you can have hard, no contact. But just because they're amazing people doesn't mean that it's a safe relationship or a healthy functional relationship for you. And so what is the reality of the situation? Do I need to relocate them in my relationship ecosystem? Like my inner circle bestie is actually not, but like they're really cool. So maybe I can keep them in my life as a go do thing. Like maybe they're really fun to, I don't know, snowboard with. So go do that with them. You don't have to cut them out, but asking yourself, what's the reality of this relationship and where on my map does this relationship actually belong versus where I really, really, really genuinely wish this person was. Like I have a lot of people that I wish were inner circle people that, and I have a lot of family members that I wish were inner circle people. And the reality of the situation is I've done what I can and that's all I can do. And so that's a really unpleasant reality, but an unpleasant reality is still preferable to trying to force things to work that won't. I love that. I love that. That is huge. I feel like one of the biggest questions listeners probably have right now is if you're feeling stuck, how long does it take to get to the point of being unstuck? Because obviously you do these micro yeses, you make these micro shifts. Um, What are the, are the trends you're seeing? It's like you have this little momentum. It doesn't take that long or it takes a while to be consistent and get to these more bigger goals in your life, if you will. What have you found there with timelines? And obviously it's so variable. It's so dependent on like what the goal is being set or how long you felt stuck for. But it can be so discouraging to feel stuck, which you obviously know. So I'm sure people are like, okay, but like, how can I get rid of this feeling? So what can they expect in this process of making these shifts and trying to move away from this point of being stuck? I have a horrible, pukey, like, want to hit me therapisty answer for that. <laughs> and the answer to how long will it take, assuming you're safe and you have everything you need, it'll take longer, you know, than you'd like but not as long as you're afraid it will take. So somewhere in between that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've read the common knowledge is that it takes three weeks to form a habit. Well, that was based off of like a plastic surgeon who was measuring how long his patients took to look at themselves in the mirror and adjust to how they looked. So three weeks (laughs) to a habit isn't totally accurate. If you're doing micro yeses, as soon as you start keeping promises to yourself, you're going to feel a little bit, not better, but you'll feel a little less bad. (laughs) Even if the first day micro yes is right one bullet point, you're not going to feel like, yay, go me, everything has changed. But keeping promises to ourself, at the very least, if it doesn't make you feel better, it'll 
prohibit more shame from being added. And yeah. so anywhere you're not adding shame, you're going to feel a little less bad. And I, I, everyone wants the answer. And I, I could say like, yeah, in three weeks of this, you know, you're going to feel a lot. It'll take longer than you'd like, but not as long as you're worried it'll take. Mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned keeping promises to yourself because this is something I've been hearing everyone talk about recently. I don't know if this is like the new self-care or what is happening with it, <laughs> but like recently everyone is harping on this idea of keeping promises to yourself. And I think it's like you were mentioning, it really does help diminish that shame. It helps you feel that that motivation, that momentum, that consistency. But I've also noticed on the flip side that it gets really scary when you don't want to do something because then there's all this on the line if you're not keeping this promise to yourself. So I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts there. Obviously, keeping promises to yourself is amazing. If you're in a position where you've made the decision not to keep a promise to yourself, but you're struggling to get to that point, maybe your goal is too big, so it's hard to do that, yes. But what are the implications there when you're not keeping your promises to yourself? Is it really the end of the world or it's okay and you'll <laughs> you'll continue on with life? And you're so right. You know, like when we break promises to ourselves, then we feel shame. And what we know about shame is shame is going to create a cycle of now I feel bad. So now I do the things that make me feel less bad, but they're bad for me. So now I feel bad that I did the thing that I was doing to escape the bad feeling and off. And that's the addiction cycle, yeah. you know, in a nutshell right there. And so I have a fun little acronym. When you're making promises to yourself, think of the acronym SET, S-E-T. They need to be small, easy, and truthful. So when I was like smoking meth, I'm not going to make a promise to myself that I'm going to get up, take a shower, brush my teeth and go exercise for two hours. It's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Small, easy and truthful, because if it's not small, easy and truthful, you're not going to do it. So and mm -hmm. don't worry about breaking big promises to yourself because you're not going to be making big promises to yourself. You're yeah. going to be making small, easy, truthful promises. And if you do that, then you we've kind of eliminated the problem of what do we do when we break the promises? Now, if they're small, easy and truthful, and then you break them, that's when you say to yourself, okay, humaning, great, fell on the dirt, now get up, dust off, and try again. How do you mentally differentiate from a goal or an aspiration? You're like, I should do that, or it would be nice if I could do that like five-step morning routine that you just outlined, but you're not actually making that promise. You're not actually like, tomorrow I'm going to do that, but you're like, I wish I was at that point. Like, How are you mentally making that differentiation so every time you have a thought, you're not breaking a promise? but you're still also exploring these possibilities almost. Yeah, and that's going back to goals versus systems. Like mm -hmm. if my goal is to kill it on high, and I keep bringing up hygiene because a lot of people don't realize that even high functioning people that are killing it at work or whatever at school really struggle with basics like yeah. showering, teeth brushing, all of that. So if my goal, and I had this goal, was to have hygiene, like brush your teeth, floss, take a shower, do the things, that's the goal. So once we set that goal, we forget about it. And then what's my system? And that's where you get to the micro yes. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't like to say trust me because you shouldn't trust me. You should never just trust what someone says. But what we know about brain science is all of those small systems that you set up do lead to the goal. So you don't have to put your faith in something unseen. You know, if you have the goal of hygiene, doing this system of micro yeses is going to get you there. So you don't have to wish for it and think about it and dwell on it. Because frankly, when you think about or fantasize about achieving your goals or talk about the goals you want to achieve, you release a little bit of dopamine. I've heard it called mental masturbation because it makes <laughs> you feel really good to imagine yourself doing the thing, but like you didn't actually do the thing. So yeah. it's really important to focus on set the goal, forget it, then micro yeses. 
I love that. One thing that I think you explained so well is that this is not a laziness or you're not unmotivated, you're not not high achieving, like all these things that people throw out when they are trying to explain why people aren't keeping promises to themselves or making progress or making shifts. And I'd really love to kind of hear your thoughts on why that's the immediate conclusion people reach when you haven't done something for like oh you're just lazy you're not motivated why are you doing this like why do you think that that's the first conclusion we reach and then how do you recommend to clients and and your community to kind of combat that because it is really it's like almost as hard as hearing over and over again that you're not keeping promises to yourself to hear like oh no you're lazy you're unmotivated that's the reason why this isn't happening and then it feels like something that can't be changed so what are your thoughts there (laughs) Nice tee up. I so hate the word lazy. Like lazy is not a biological reality. Lazy is a judgment that we have put on behavior we don't understand. It's like, oh, I don't get why that person's laying there. So they must be lazy. I don't get why that's happening. So they must be crazy. It's like lazy and crazy are totally moral judgments that have no basis in the physiological reality of our brains. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then people get mad. Are you saying it's okay to just like lay around and do nothing? I'm like, no, I'm saying that laziness is not the explanation for what you're seeing. Craziness is not the explanation for what you're seeing. So what we call lazy is a nervous system that is shut down in a freeze response. So you have a nerve in your brain that when it gets dinged, it shuts down, it shuts you down. It's like your alarm goes danger, danger, and then collapse. Yeah. And again, it's not like, great, my, my alarm system went off. Now I'm in freeze. Cool. Now I'm just going to stay here. But if I'm just telling myself I'm lazy, I'm lazy, I suck. That, that doesn't actually solve. That's like breaking your leg and being like, oh, it sucks that my leg's broken. It's, <laughs> It's like, yeah, it does. Well, I guess it's just my fault that my leg's broken. Well, okay, but like, you're still sitting on the floor. It's not your fault. And it does suck, but we need to get you to a doctor who can then set the leg. Mm -hmm. And so laziness requires interventions that focus on our brain's physiology, not these moral judgments. And that's why you can't think your way out of feeling stuck sometimes. You can do all the affirmations and journaling and mind work and rah, rah, go me. You could put all the sticky notes in your car, but like, If your nervous system is stuck in freeze, you need to approach that understanding this is a physiological issue. Your nervous system is perceiving danger. Why? I don't know why. It doesn't matter why, because brain science. So then what are three people, places, or things that can help me feel a little safer? And none of us, well, I, I don't know if you were taught. I certainly was not taught, hey, how does your nervous system feel with this person? Do they feel safe or do they feel activated? How does your nervous system feel watching this particular show? Like there are certain things that I watch that I can tell shut me down and put me in freeze and then I get stuck and I keep scrolling or whatever. And if you can learn to start to decode your body's language, it'll tell you what, who, and where feels a little bit safer or a little bit less threatened. And that's where our our window is where we can actually get up and start moving. Yeah. Lazy is not a thing. I I love that. And I think that's a really important reminder for people to hear and really helpful and encouraging if that's what people are hearing, either internally or, or externally. I love that you mentioned hygiene earlier, and I am wondering if there is a place to start or a foundational habit that you found with either your own personal experience or with clients where you're like, this is a really great way to start building these yeses, to have an effective foundation. It helps with momentum because if you're starting like, oh, I'm going to run a marathon and like that is the first goal you're pursuing, but you're not showering or brushing your teeth or 
having a consistent diet throughout your day or sleeping well, like that's not going to work. So where do you recommend that people start when they have all these goals that feel really ambitious Mm -hmm. and they're like, do I pick the one that I'm most excited about? Do I pick the one that's (laughs) biggest? What is your recommendation for choosing where to start? I always say start with what's easy and nobody wants to do that because somehow we've learned if it's easy, it's not valuable or somehow it has less worth, but like start with what's easy and trigger warning here. And I'm going to talk about sexual assault for sexual assault survivors, which I am things. And again, we're not taught this things like oral hygiene and showering can be really triggering. It's not taught that like going to the dentist, if you are a survivor of sexual assaults can totally trigger panic reactions. So can shower. So can brushing your teeth. And now I didn't know that at the time, but like, I just knew somehow getting into the shower created this fear response. You know, I didn't know why at the time. And I would beat myself up. What's wrong with me? Why? Like, this is so stupid. This is dumb. This is so easy. Like everybody showers. Why can't I just do this? But other things were a little bit easier for me. Like, okay, I can brush my hair. Doing my Mm -hmm. hair didn't trigger me in the same way as getting into a shower did. And so start with what's easy. Whatever is the easiest yes you can get to, start there. It counts. Easy yeses count. I love that. If there is one sentence or mantra or takeaway that listeners can leave this conversation with and put in a sticky note, make it their phone screen, remind themselves over and over again if they're struggling with feeling stuck, what would that be? I know it's hard because there are so many moments from this where I'm like, it's going on Instagram. We're we're putting it in the episode promo because there are just so many things you've said that have been amazing. Oh, thank you. Let's see. Stuck is only a starting place. So we all assume stuck is now, this is where I am. This is where I'll stay. And it's like, yeah, you're stuck. Stuck is your starting place. It's not your final destination. Adding on is we know the brain can grow and change and heal and who you are, where you are, how you do life now does not have to be this is who I like this is who I am is not even accurate neurophysiologically so we know your brain can change so if you don't like how your brain is wired it can change if you don't like your patterns of thinking or doing or being or whatever those can change so assuming you have resources and safety stuck is only a starting place not a final destination I love that so much and it reminds me of something I heard when I was in intensive treatment and I to this day still absolutely love it and go back to it which is that life is impermanent and that impermanence will be on your side because everything is constantly shifting and changing including your degree of stuckness if you will and your behaviors and thoughts so even if it feels like you've been at this point forever, at some point something has to shift with the level of emotional intensity you're feeling, the way that your behaviors are going, your habits, all of these things have to shift because nothing like by the laws of nature, how life works, it it just won't continue to stay consistent forever. Oh, I love that so much. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So much yes to that. <laughs> Where can people get your book and follow along with you and continue to consume your content? Yeah. So the book's called The Science of Stuck and you can buy it wherever you buy books. And you can find me on Instagram. It's just my name at Britt Frank and Britt has two T's. And my website is scienceofstuck.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Britt, for joining me today and She Persisted. I learned so much from this. I know listeners are going to learn so much from this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of She Persisted. If you enjoyed, make sure to share with a friend or family member. It really helps out the podcast. And if you haven't already, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also make sure to follow along at at She Persisted Podcast on both Instagram and TikTok and check out all the bonus resources, content, and information on my website, ShePersistedPodcast.com. 
Thanks for supporting. Keep persisting and I'll see you next week.